I started. Oh, well, you, you, we were, I thought we started the show like 21 seconds ago. Stop it. Yeah. Yep. You thought wrong. Let's try now. Okay. I like this jingle. Me too. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to The Debrief, a weekly Q&A show from your friends here at Sandals Church. My name is Justin Pardee, P-R-D. Uh, for the guy who wanted to know why, I mean, PMB stands for Pastor Matt Brown. P-R-D stands for my last name, Pardee. Strip the vowels. There you go. That's P-R-D. Also, I spilled water right through it, down through my beard, all over onto my shirt. Sorry about that. If it oh, looks like a slob. Yeah, well, yeah. no, I have, some, I have some more you just can't oh, see can't because of our phone. awesome camera set up here in the middle of the table. Yeah, you you're funny, you're coming in hot today. This is Stephanie Schaefer across the Hi, table. Yes. Speaking of coming in hot, we got Tash hey. Matt Brown right here <laughs> oh, at the end. No, I'm, saying, I'm, no, I'm saying you're the one coming in hot. Thank you. Okay. Well, well your thanks. finger was pointing at look her. Look at your shirt. You look good, man. I know. I'm dressed up. You look shiny. Okay. So um, why yeah, is my name PMB? So Nora, she's uh, four years old at her house. Last night at bedtime, her mom was praying with her to go to bed. She says, why is Pastor Matt's name Pastor? What parent names their... Their son, Pastor. <laughs> so she thought Pastor was my first name and mm. Matt is my last name. I love that. I, I, both my dad and younger brother are legitimate doctors, you know, with PhDs and yeah. things. Uh. And I tried so hard to convince Lindy to let me name, like, one of my sons, Dr. Boaz Pardee. Like, first name doctor would have been... Oh, I love it. That'd be, oh, that'd That's be my so favorite awesome. scene in The Avengers. What's your name? Dr. Strange? Oh, I didn't realize we were using made-up names. <laughs> that was awesome. Sorry. I love that movie. Man, we're having a good time today. Hopefully, yeah, you guys can tell it's good. a it's a good week. We had a cult, a beautiful cultivate. What was it called? Cultivate Women's Conference. There you go. Yeah, cultivate thing for ladies. Yeah. Uh, that seemed awesome. Oh yeah. At our Hunter Park campus, where it was hosted, I saw on Instagram just some beautiful balloons. Did you see the balloons? Yeah, going over the oh, yeah. It was Took great. over the whole outside of the building, awesome. all inside. Yeah. I was the here for about an hour, job. man. I want to give a shout out to all of our ladies who are working hard. Mm -hmm. um, all the squads from every campus were here representing. Also, man, the men of our church, dude, they worked all day long, Friday, Saturday, and uh, man, they were sweating. Mm -hmm. It was it was warm. Mm -hmm. I was here on Friday helping my wife, and uh, I was sweating. It was warm. Did she have a booth? She was she was selling some of her beautiful paintings. Yes. All right. Well, let's jump into the show and do some um, Q and A questions. That's yeah. what they're called. We yeah. give real answers to tough questions. That's right. Yeah. I'm worried about this show if you can't remember the word question. Mm. Yeah. That's for, uh, we started off with you not being able to drink water, <laughs> yeah. and now you've forgotten the word question. Going this is going to be a great here. show. Yeah. It's time for a spiritual quiz, Pastor Matt. You ready for a spiritual, yes. spiritual quiz? <laughs> yes. True or false? That that would actually probably mess this question up. Stephanie, yes. why don't you you should lead us out. I would love to. Here we so, go. Pastor Matt, one, your message this weekend was incredible. I Thank you. I thought it was you. one of your best ever. I took more notes on the Sandals Church app than ever before. Yes. So, if you guys have not heard Pastor Matt's message from this weekend, it's all about uh, what to do in your faith is challenged, and I thought it was one of your best. Oh, thank you. So, I did not realize when I was asking you to do the first question here that I was giving you this opportunity. I didn't know yeah, you were going to take it and just. Yeah. That, well, thank you for the direction. opportunity. So, yeah. But one of the things you mentioned in your message was talking about what to do when we face temptation. The whole message was based on, you know, Jesus in the desert facing mm -hmm. temptation. And one of the things you said is that when we face temptation, temptation, we need to ask ourselves who we are. Right. Can you kind of explain more about how to remind yourself of your identity and why that matters when you're facing temptation? Yeah, absolutely. Because I think oftentimes when we're tempted, uh, we feel low, we feel unloved, unaccepted, unheard, unseen. And so it's really a, a kind of an identity crisis. I don't matter. People don't care. Uh, it doesn't matter what I do. And so we forget who we are. And so whenever I find myself uh, feeling tempted, which I do, 
You know, I find myself feeling tempted um, um, at times. And what I noticed as I've grown older is I'm not tempted all the time. So I begin to pay attention when I'm when am I tempted? And so I think it, it's intentional. Why does the Holy Spirit lead Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days? Because he's not tempted in you know exactly the same way we already do. It takes extraordinary circumstances for Jesus um, to be tempted by some things. And so mm-hmm. he's weakened. And so you just gotta watch yourself. Are you overworked? Have you not eaten? Um, has it, if you're married, has it been a, a while since you've been intimate with your spouse? Um, is your relationships, uh, are your friendships healthy? Um, you know, what's going on in your life? I mean, I think people go to a bar to sit alone and drink for a reason, and that should be a mayday. This is not good. Like mm-hmm. if your intimate friends are random strangers and you're sitting at a bar and you're all intoxicated, that's a problem. Like um, you need to, you need to take a look at yourself and say, okay, I, I, I'm not good at making friendships and relationships. And what we what often want to do is put that off on everybody else. But the reality is you need to take a look at yourself. You're the common denominator and say, okay, how do I grow? So we find ourselves lonely. Um, we find ourselves vulnerable. And during my greatest period of temptation in my mid thirties, are you in your mid thirties? I think so. Okay. 36, does that count yeah, as mid? mid 30s. So I would say 34 to 36 is mid 30s. Oh gosh, so, um, almost in my late 30s. Yeah. I'm almost close to my mid 30s. So when I was Justin's age, um, <laughs> I found myself, and I remember saying in a moment of desperation, and, and I want to do a series at some point called Dark Thoughts, where we, where we mm-hmm. talk about dark thoughts. And um, the only time in my adult life where I ever even contemplated like taking my life. And, and I remember saying to the Lord, so here I am, I'm, I'm married to a great woman. I have three great kids. I have a, a growing church. Uh, I'm doing well career-wise. Um, you know, I mean, you're never really like going to be wealthy in ministry. But I mean, I I was paying the bills. Mm-hmm. Life was good. And I remember saying, I'm all alone. Mm-hmm. I'm all alone. And I remember the Lord calling me and he said, I didn't call you to be alone. Mm-hmm. I felt alone, but I wasn't called to be alone. And so that's where like loneliness is how I feel. But I'm a child of God. That means I'm, I belong to a family. That's who I am. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I think in that temptation, um, like, like again, with depression, uh, suicidal thoughts, we lie to ourselves and we say people would be better off if I wasn't here. And that's that's a lie from the devil. That is that is not the truth. No mm-hmm. one is better off with you taking your life, um, including yourself. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, and I know we all go to the you know the funerals. Everybody's like, oh, they're in heaven. They're in a better place. Better place. They're standing before God and they're being judged for their final act. And so mm-hmm. that's scary. Uh, I'm not saying that they're going to be thrown into hell. I'm just saying you don't want your last act on earth to be... Um, a sin like that before you stand before God Almighty. You, you just don't want to do that. So so I just think it's you need to remind yourself. And again, you need to remind yourself of scripture and not focus on your feelings. I feel alone. I feel unloved. I feel like I don't matter. What does the Bible said? The Bible says that he loved us before we ever even knew ourselves. Before we were ever born, he loved us. He cared for us. He has a plan for us. You know, I don't feel like I matter. God says you do matter. I don't feel like I have a purpose. God says I have a purpose for your life to be a part of a kingdom, to be a part of a family, to be a part of a church that's growing and loving and caring for people, regardless of their race, uh, you know, their uh, sex, um, their sexual orientation, loving them and reaching out to them. That's what this means. In order for to do that, we all have to repent. And one of the things that we need to repent of our repent of sometimes is our feelings. Mm-hmm. We need to repent of how we feel um, because oftentimes if we're feeling something that's false, I might not be lying to you, but I'm lying to myself. And mm-hmm. I need to confess that. God, I've, I've been dishonest to myself. I'm lying to myself. I'm feeling ways that are not true. And so I need to ground myself with scripture and ground myself with truth. And so I just think it's important that my if my identity is in Christ, and that's what's so broken in our society, right? Your identity is your race. 
your sex, mm -hmm. your sexual orientation, and we're wondering why people are so imbalanced in our culture. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, so you're gay, great, yay you, but you, you got all these other problems, or you're a woman, or you're a man, or you're black, or you're white, yay, whatever. But if your identity's in Christ, I'm, I'm a love child, despite the fact that I, I've sinned and I blow it, if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me. You know, your relationship with God should be the relationship you've always wanted. That's what it's supposed to be. And you need to go to God. And, um, you know, um, I, the other thing I, I find myself being tempted is when I'm just bored and I don't know what to do. Mm. So, um, you know, I I don't feel like reading or so maybe I'm going to scroll on, you know, on TV. Um, I don't know, look at porn, but maybe I'm going to click through something that, you know, I wouldn't watch. And I try not to watch um, anything with female nudity. Male nudity doesn't do anything for me. <laughs> so, uh, you know, anything with female nudity. So, um, and that, that's created some challenges because female nudity doesn't do anything for my wife, but I'm like, mm -hmm. I don't need to watch this show or be a part of that. And I think that that's every believer's, you know, um, choice. They, they got to work through it, but that's just something that I don't need to be up late at night watching things that, you know, I always ask myself, would I be comfortable watching this if Tammy came in? Would I be comfortable reading this article if Tammy came in? And um, so I, I try to read things. And even like when I'm scrolling the news, I've even noticed lately, like uh, if I'm on CNN or foxnews.com, they have articles and stories that like, no, that's not good for me. Like, oh yeah, down at the bottom. Yeah, down at the, the bottom. Chum. Yeah, so, you know, I just making sure that you don't, you know, get caught with clickbait. And that's what it is, man. It's trying to lure you. So are you bored? Do you feel inadequate? Do you feel unloved? Uh, are you experiencing a breakup? Are you struggling in school? Um, so, you know, Temptation is always when we feel um, not full, we're not content. And so temptation for many of us are things that we run to when we wanna feel comfort or when we run to when we wanna we want celebrate. And so uh, we gotta be really, really careful. You know, what do you want to do? Um, you know, and really think about that. You know, I'm praying for everyone in our church to get bonuses and raises. And so many people write, I wanna go on a vacation. I got this big raise. My prayer is that you would be like, oh my gosh, I want to give this to the Lord mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. I love him and that's where I go to celebrate. And when I think most people get that you should come to the church when you need to be comforted, well, you should also come to the church when you want to celebrate. I mean, there's a reason you get married in the church. You're celebrating, yeah. right? You're celebrating, man. This is great. There's a reason we dedicate babies in the church. We're celebrating, man. We got this new kid. We're so excited about the possibilities of who, who they're going to be. So look at what you run to to comfort yourself. Um, you know, and, and a bowl of ice cream is a bowl of ice cream but it becomes you know, a pint of ice cream when it's comfort or a pint of ice cream when I deserve this and I am gonna celebrate you know, what I did here. And so excess is, is really a problem in our culture and um, it, it's a real issue. So we all face it. It's gonna be you know, with, it, with us always. So just try to remind yourself of who you are. Um, you know, let's say I, I run into an attractive girl and you know, you, you just, you're, they're an attractive person. I don't wanna say I'm attracted to her, but they're attractive and you, you feel yourself. And so in that moment, I remind myself who I am. I'm a follower of God. I'm a pastor of Sandals Church. I'm the husband of Tammy Brown. And I'm the father of three children that I want to be an example of integrity and an example of what it means to be a Christian. And that helps me. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that helps me guide myself and control myself, you know, um, because I, I want to be a man of integrity. And so my identity, who I want to be, right? I said a couple weeks ago, whatever you're doing, you're becoming. You, you will become your habits. That's why you need to establish holy habits. You, you will become them. Um, and, and that's why so many people are dissatisfied with their life. You know, people want to talk about their problems, but really it's habits. You, you have created, you know, awful habits in your life. And sooner or later, they're going to, you know, catch up. Like, you know, we talked about your dad, you know, and you don't want to follow in his mm -hmm. health footsteps. But the reality is, if you don't drastically change your life, you are. You already see yeah. where you're going. 
And that's the beauty of that situation. For most people though, they don't have a parent where they can go, okay, here's, here's where I'm headed. And, uh, and I'm gonna become like this. And so I need to change my habits. I need to learn to practice what Christ teaches. And, um, you know, we talked about this weekend's message that, um, you know, Jesus wasn't flippant with his life. And, and I think so many Christians are, they're flippant with their life and they say, well, God's in charge. And so I'm gonna act like an idiot. Well, God says, be wise. And so we talked about what does it mean to think, act and feel like Jesus? And I thought that was so important. So if you missed that sermon, really, really focus in on those things because I think that will help you during times of, of temptation. And um, I think I think you'll be better. One of the things you said at the very beginning of your message was that real faith, which is what we're pursuing right now in this 40 days of uh, faith series, well, in gen- beyond that yeah. too, actually, th- that real faith must be challenged. And Ryan wrote in and says, in my life, I don't think I've ever had a Goliath-sized challenge. Is that a bad thing? I just don't think that I've had a challenge so big that it truly made me really rely solely on my faith. Is that a bad thing? Well, my first question would be, how old is he? Mm-hmm. Um, because he's probably, you know, Ryan's probably got a lot of life ahead of him. And uh, that's what I would say. And so what I would say is quit praying for the Goliath and prepare for the bears and the lions. Mm. So you need to start where you are uh, and not where David was. Because the reality is David was prepared, David was ready, and he could handle that Goliath moment. And 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 again, um, you know, that, that's just what I would say, God, you know, what is in my life that I need to prepare for this moment? And man, it, it happens, man. Mm-hmm. You know, it happens. I heard about somebody in our church who's, um, I just heard this week, and I don't know who it is. So if this is you, I apologize mm-hmm. if I get the story a little bit wrong, but somebody just shared it with me. They're preparing to give birth to a baby that they've been told won't make it. Mm-hmm. So the baby has multiple chromosomal issues, uh, huge challenges. And and so there's they know genetically that this child probably will die, be born dead or die very quickly after that. And so they're preparing for that, you know? And um, that's a Goliath moment, mm-hmm. right? That's that's a moment of, there is no greater heartache, I don't think on this earth than losing a son or a daughter. And that's why when God proved his love for us, that's exactly what he did. Mm-hmm. He lost his own son. So um, I would just say, you need to have faith now so that you can ha- have it in those moments. And uh, ultimately, you know, the devil in, in the 40 days wasn't, Jesus's Goliath moment. It was the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Where he knows, okay, Lord, this is it. You know, is there any other way? And he sweats drops of blood. That's his Goliath moment where Mm -hmm. it's one thing to know, yeah, I'm going to die for the sins of the earth. It's another thing to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. And, And not only that, but to know that he has the power to not do it, right? Most of us, we face our Goliaths and we don't have the power to wipe away Goliath. David did and chose to lose, excuse me, Jesus did and chose to lose to Goliath Mm -hmm. so that he could redeem the earth and save the earth. And so, um, you know, I think that's okay. Give yourself time and just say, God, here's what I would pray, Ryan. God, give me uh, give me the size giant I can handle and help me to trust you one giant as a time so that if I ever face something ghastly like this, that I will be ready. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I've walked with people of faith. I remember when Pastor Greg Glory lost his son, Christopher, and, um, you know, that, that's, that's a Goliath I never want to face. You know, Pastor Rick Warren, another uh, mentor of mine, lost his son, Matthew. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, both tragic. One was an accident, one was a suicide. And just, you know, your heart just breaks for those people. But the reality is, you know, they're, they're both still married. Mm-hmm. They're both still in ministry. And it's because they lived a life of trusting God. And in that moment, they were, they were ready. They didn't want to face that giant, but they got through it. And their mm. marriage is healthy and their relationships with their surviving kids are healthy. And they're still in ministry, still loving God, still serving God. And that's my prayer. I don't ever want to lose a child. But if I did, I would hope that I, I that I have lived a life of faith enough 
to be able to handle it like they have. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and you need to watch great people of faith. How do they mourn? How do they grieve? How do they hurt? Um, how do they handle stressful situations? And look at that and say, okay, I wanna be like that. But then you need to ask the next question and you need to say, what have they done in their life to prepare to be like that? Mm-hmm. So when you're a kid, like everybody looks up to a sports hero, or I don't know if you had a sports hero when you were a kid. Uh, oh, maybe an actress, actor, yeah. somebody famous. You say, I want, to be, I want to be like <laughs> them one day. Mm-hmm. And so what you need to find out is what do they do to get to where they are? And so what you need to do is identify great spiritual mentors and you say, okay, I want to be like that. That's why Hebrews 11 is what it is. It's it's literally the hall of fame for faithful people. Mm-hmm. And so just read through, it's one chapter, read through Hebrews 11. It just talks about people who sacrifice extraordinary things. And if you want to have extraordinary faith, you have to do what they did. How did they practice? What did they do? And that's why you need to look at the life of Jesus. What does he do? You know, why is it that God goes off and prays? Why is it that God seeks alone time? Why is it that God, you know, look at look at everything that Jesus is doing and ask you, why is he doing that? What What is he teaching me about what it means to be human and what I need to do? Uh, and then that's why we read the epistles, right? Paul and Peter and John, they're explaining to us how they figured it out mm-hmm. and we need to do that. So mm. good question. Thank you, Ryan. I'll be praying for you. All right, so this next question comes from Jackie, who simply asks, how do I know if God is really calling me to do something or if it's just something I want to do? When we think about stepping out in faith and all that, how do we know if it's God calling us to step out in faith or it's just our desires again? Yeah, I, my first question would be, do you want to do it? And if she said no, I would say, well, that's probably God calling you to do it. Mm. Very rarely does the Holy Spirit prompt us to do what we want to do. Because mm. we're already going to do that. The Holy Spirit <laughs> prompts us to do what we don't want to do, and he leads us in ways we don't want to go. Jesus didn't want to go to the desert. The Holy Spirit led him to the desert. He wasn't like, you know what? I'm tired of, you know, great baths, great food, hanging out with my friends. I'm going to go out in the desert where I have to, you know, outrun hyenas every day and lions and all of this stuff. No, he was led into that. And so, um, like, if if I had a choice, I would have planted a church uh, in Orange County. That's where I was. That's what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. I knew that God wanted me to plant a church. No one was planting churches in the Inland Empire in the 90s. And, and that doesn't make any sense to me. So I went where I saw no one else going. And um, and th- that, that's just what I would say is always check your desires. Never trust your desires, trust God. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think you'll be a much, much happier person in the long run. It's not about what I feel like doing. It's about what is God calling me to do. So that's the first thing I always ask people, what do you want to do? Mm-hmm. Don't tell me what you think God's leading you to do because it's amazing how God, we, we always marry God and our, our desires. And that's just, you know, everybody wants, people always joke, well, when Sandals has, you know, Sandals Church Hawaii, we're there. Well, I don't need you there then. Because what I need is the people who don't want to live in Hawaii, who hate the tropics, who are actually called to the mission. Those are the people that I want there. You know, um, simply loving the city where you live doesn't mean you're called there. It means you live in a nice place. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I want to minister where people are and they're, you know, the Inland Empire is where people are moving is because where people can afford to live. Um, and it's where I believe the church should be thriving. And look at God's blessing that. So that's what I would say. But, you know, Riverside was not on my list. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't. Um, <clears throat> but it was on my wife's list and it, there was a need. And, and so we did it. Okay, so this can, this question is from a sophomore in high school. His name's Tyler. It says, I'm on the baseball team and I'm trying to get on the basketball team as well as keeping my grades up. How can I make time for God with practice every day and homework also? Yeah, reduce your uh, sports. Sorry. Okay. Sorry, buddy. You can't have it all. Anybody who tells you you can is lying to you. That's one of the greatest myths of our culture is we can have it all. Mm. And so what happens is when we believe that, we lose it all. And so what I would say is pick one sport, work at it, 
and then make sure it's not overwhelming. God called you not to play sports. He called you to love him and serve him. And so I think sports is a great way to learn discipline. It's a great way to learn camaraderie, community. It's a great way to learn how to work for a common goal. Um, but simply trying to excel at everything is a recipe for disaster in everything. Mm. Mm. So, um, you know, and, and, and that's just the thing is, you know, I told my kids to pick one sport. My kids, you know, really didn't love sports. So pick one thing and stick with that. And, um, and, and that's it. But, you know, I want them to be in community group. I want them to be serving. I want them to be reading their Bible. I want them to know God. Like you're not going to get into heaven because you were awesome at sports. Yeah, You're going to get in heaven because you were awesome in your relationship with God and you knew him and you loved him. And so, buddy, I feel you. Uh, school is hard. That is a full-time job. Um, sports is a part-time job on top of your full-time job. <laughs> so you're also growing still. You need more sleep. You need more rest. That's a full-time job because we want you to be healthy. So you need to spend time in God's word. And what I would say is it doesn't need to be a ton of time. Start reading a chapter a day. Start in Matthew. Uh, get through the genealogy. You know, I'll explain that to you one day when you're a little bit older. But just try to get through that stuff that, you know, really doesn't connect with you. And just try to read a chapter or do a half chapter a day. Say, God, I'm going to spend five minutes reading my Bible and praying. And just say, God, I want to connect with you. And if you do that, man, in, in 10 years, you're going to know more than most Christians. Mm -hmm. And and you're going to have a vibrant, real relationship with God. So, um you know, and don't don't beat yourself up if if, if you miss a day. So just end your end your day by saying, "God, I'm really tired today. I love you. I, I look forward to spending more time with you tomorrow." Mm. And God will be there. Mm. I love that. So Chandler wrote in. It's in a little different spot. He says, "For a few years now, even though I've been in a community group, I've been teaching kids about God, and I've grown in my actual knowledge of who and how God is. I feel is what I can only describe as spiritually constipated. Like Whoa. I'm constantly lacking in faith and not able to feel the presence of God the way I used to." Why is it that the more I learn about God and spend time trying to grow in faith, the further from God I feel I am? Isn't it supposed to go the other way? How am I supposed to lean into the presence of God during times of trial when I can't seem to find it when things are going well? Hmm. Spiritually constipated. I know, that's a, that's I feel the like first year on the D needs to share with us from his immense I would talk, wisdom. I would, talk, I would end up having to talk about spiritual diarrhea oh. because my collection, my connection with the Lord is is uh, deep. The fountain is wide. No. I don't know if I'm getting... No. Mm -hmm. yeah. just, you just... There is a river flowing. No. Some spiritual songs. No. Hmm. I'm just I'm just curious as to why he chose the word spiritual constipation. That's that's throwing me off a bit. Here, here's what I would say is you're gonna go through seasons of, of dryness, but what I would say is, Chandler, to be honest with you, there's a heart issue there. And what you need to dig in is is what's in your heart that's that's disconnecting you from God. Now, some of us uh are just you know, we're just born better at relationships. Some of us have to work harder at relationships, right? I mean, that's just the way that we are. You have to accept the person that God's made you. You know, Justin's always gonna have to work a little harder at not gaining weight than I am. That's not your fault. It doesn't make you any worse or it doesn't make me any better. It's the the it's the biological bodies that we were given. That's just the reality. So I also have to work harder on just relationships and I think you do. Okay. Remember remember you gave me that one book? It was a relationship principles of Jesus or something. Like I don't that. remember. Oh, Sorry. Yeah, I've done so many things in your life. I can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 and that's okay. You know, mm -hmm. um, like for example, I, I wasn't, I wasn't a good listener at all when my wife and I first got married. I've had to really, really work at being a good listener. And that's been really, really hard for me. Some people just like, you know, if you're Dan Crowley, he's just, he's just natural at it. So what we assume is, is that if just because we're not good at something doesn't mean that we, we think we will never be good at it. Well, that's mm -hmm. not true. Some of the greatest people on earth are people that have worked diligently through things and they become masters of them. So what I would say, Chandler, is I would just go before the Lord and say, what's going on with my heart? 
reveal my heart, test my thoughts, know me, search me, God reveal what's going on. And then what I would say Chandler is get in a community group with some people that really know you and love you. And I'm sure they can find some amazing blind spots that you're missing. So that's what I would say mm -hmm. is, sounds like you're a real disciplined guy. You read your Bible on a regular basis and that's great. Um, you know, maybe we need to ferret out why are you reading your Bible all the time? You know, it's not a checklist. It's not a checklist. I mean, a lot of people approach relationships with that way. You know, we ate dinner, um, we we did the dishes together mm -hmm. and we watched TV and we're further apart than we've ever been. Okay, well, your relationship is not a checklist. It's literally, how, you know, how do we connect and, and how do we, what's going on in your life? And um, so I, that's what I would say is if God feels distant, there's always a reason. And so what I would say is God, what is that reason? What do I need to learn? Um, and, and I don't know you, Chandler, but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna guess there's a little arrogance there. I'm gonna guess there's a little pride there. That that's what I would guess with without knowing you, without seeing you. Maybe it's the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's breakfast. But um, that's what I'm gonna guess. And, and the Bible says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so instead of coming to God with I've done all of these things, Lord, so therefore I've earned this relationship with you, I would look at maybe Luke 18 the two, the Pharisee and the tax collector that come before the throne of God. And the tax collector can't even look in God's face. And he looks down the ground. He says, you God don't even deserve to be here. And the Pharisee says, thank God, I'm not like that dude. And Jesus says, it's the tax collector that goes home right before God in the right relation. It's the, it's the sinner. And so um, I would just really look at it and say, God, show me my sin, show me what's going on. And you might be better than all your friends, but that doesn't mean you're right with God. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things I've done before, and I'm 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 almost just wondering. Sometimes, like a hard reset or a change of uh, pace or setting can really help change perspective or something. Um, like I've I've had to go, and I'll tell my wife, "Hey, I'm I'm leaving my phone behind. I'll go to like the UCR Botanical Gardens, where I'm sure you guys have, yeah. have both been before, and mm -hmm. no phone, nothing, maybe my Bible. Uh, sometimes not even that, and I'm just going, and I know I'm going to be in there for a couple of hours, mm -hmm. and it's it's like almost like it's creating an opportunity to reconnect with God, not necessarily around knowledge or something. But I mean, we just live in such a noisy world now, yeah. you know, like mm -hmm. it, every restaurant has TV every, everywhere we go, our phones, all that stuff. Uh, for me, that's a really great way. Cause he specifically was talking about the presence of God. Mm -hmm. And I think if we, that's at least been something I've been able to step into in the past is to try and figure out whatever I can do to eliminate all those distractions. And you talked a lot about that during the baggage series so that we can really tune into how God and where he's speaking and trying to lead us in our lives. So mm -hmm. yeah, that could be something to try. And, and Chandler, I might be wrong about the pride, so don't take that as gospel. Yeah. And I think too, like, I think... But if you are prideful, <laughs> don't use that as an excuse right now to be like, oh, I'm actually not prideful. It's not a sin. Yeah. And I would always <laughs> caution against judging your relationship with God based on how you're feeling too. Because I know sometimes if you've maybe just started out in your faith a few years ago, and that feels very different when, you know, it's new and you're starting out and everything. And then as you kind of settle into the rhythm of life, um, following God, it doesn't feel as, you know, highs and lows that it might have in the beginning. So it may just be that some of it is you leveling out. Yeah. Um, Pastor Matt, you've talked about, you've actually talked about this once before. I feel like you've talked about how, so so God doesn't necessarily change, but the way that he would engage with us would change yeah. as we grow in maturity. Right. I wonder if that's a thing. Yeah, I mean, you talk like to a two-year-old different yeah. than you do a 10-year-old, different than you do a 20-year-old, different than you do a 30-year-old. And sometimes the problem is we're not we're not meeting God where he knows where we are. So we're assuming oh. that he's going to continue to talk to us as the two-year-old, but now we're 10. And mm -hmm. God's saying, I'm not going to talk to you like you're two anymore. And so we've, we've got to meet him where he knows we are. Mm. And so um, the gap is not really 
uh, any distance between us. It's just the acknowledgement that, hey, I've grown. Mm -hmm. And so God's waiting for me around that corner. And so I need to meet him there because he knows I'm there. Mm -hmm. So God's never going to ask me to meet him in a place where I can't go. So whenever, you know, um, he meets Moses or Elijah, he knows how far Elijah can run. He knows how far Moses can go, right? He knows those things. When Jesus invites um, James and John uh, and Peter to the Mount of Transfiguration, he knows that they can make the journey. He's not going to ask a two-year-old to make that hike. He's not going to ask a 10-year-old, you know, to, to run 40 days, um, you know, but he does ask Elijah to do that. And so we just need to grow up and say, okay, God is, God is feeling a little distant. So what that means is God knows that I'm at a, I'm at a new place mm -hmm. where I need to pursue him in this new way. And so that's just what I've learned is, you know, God meets me um, just differently as I grow. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Nicole actually has a question that I think is so interesting. Based on this, she says, how can we tell the difference between when our faith is being tested and when we are being disciplined? Yeah, absolutely. So Jesus didn't sin. So he's being tested. Hmm. When you and I sin, we're being disciplined. Like you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't whack your kids, you know, because it's a test to see how they respond, right? If you use uh, uh, any kind of physical measure to discipline your children, it's because that there's been sin. They've done something that's wrong. Um, but you can test them to see how they respond, to see how they act, to see what they'll do in a particular situation, um, to make sure that you know they're ready to go to the next level or that you can trust them. Um, and, I, and I think that's the difference. You know, a, a testing is just allowing us to grow and to be encouraged and to really accept the new level where we're at. Discipline is we've sinned, we've fallen away. Um, and for whatever reason, what God has spoken to us isn't working. Mm. So there's yeah. discipline. Thank so you. what I'm wondering is I think Nicole may be kind of confusing discipline with punishment. Like maybe she thinks that instead of her faith being tested, she's, God's punishing her for something that she's done. Can you kind of clarify the difference between discipline and maybe what she's thinking of as punishment? Yeah, so punishment is um, something that is dispensed to non-believers on the day of judgment. Um, that's not something that we're going to face as believers. Discipline is something that corrects. It's corrective in nature. So God is trying to get us to change lanes when words didn't work, um, you know, messengers, warnings, people speaking into our lives, then God sends a storm to change your direction. So a great example of that is uh, the story of Jonah. So Jonah refuses to listen and mm. needs to be course corrected. And so ultimately what happens is uh, his life and the lives of everyone on the ship are, are, are in jeopardy because God is disciplining him and correcting him, and he knows it. So that's the thing in, when you, when you look at God disciplining the Bible is the people who are disciplined know it, they recognize it. Um, and here's the other thing is uh, about judgment, man. God is great about warning people before judgment day, even Nineveh. I mean, that's the whole reason Jonah was sent to mm -hmm. that country uh, was to get them to repent. And so, you know, God's desire, the Bible says God takes no pleasure in the judgment of the wicked. Um, Peter says that God is waiting so that all uh, can be saved and come to Christ. So God's desire is for you to be saved, for you to experience love and his grace and spend eternity with him. So, so those are just different concepts there. I think that, like I said, most of life is just testing. Like we, we get tested every day. We get tested mm -hmm. all day, every day. Um, and that's just right. You've studied the material. You know what God wants you to do. You've passed or failed the test. Discipline is when I'm going to do my own thing and nothing is is getting through to me. And I, I've seen this in the lives of, of unrepentant pastors who just kind of do their own thing. 
nothing works, their ministry doesn't work, their life, everything falls apart. I mean, everything they touch is, you know, you know the Midas touch, everything you touch yeah. turns to gold, everything they touch dies. I'm like, that's the Lord. The mm -hmm. Lord is disciplining you because you, you know, you're not listening. I, I was sharing with you guys before the show, I have a pastor friend of mine, he just got busted as a drug dealer. Mm -hmm. And it's like, this guy lost his church, lost his marriage, and he just keeps spiraling out of control. But here's the thing, everything he does, he gets caught. Mm. I mean, I was like, what does the Lord have to do? Mm -hmm. um, he's not being tested. He's being disciplined. And, and he, he may end up spending the rest of his life in prison. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't know. Um, but he, at one time, he was serving the Lord, uh, leading a growing church, one of the biggest churches in the Northwest, and was doing great things. And at some point, he started sinning, and the Lord disciplined him with a heavy hand. So he lost his marriage, he lost his job, and now it looks like he's lost his freedom. And so he's going to continue to spiral out of control and be disciplined by God. And, um, you know, that's what I always tell my kids. I mean, I said, you can fool me, but you can't feel, fool God. And God loves you enough to discipline you. And mm -hmm. he will. And um, things happen. And, uh, man, God will, God will tell people. God will, man, God will send visions. God will send truth. Man, God will do whatever it takes. If you're his child, he will discipline you. And um, if you're not his child, he typically leaves you alone you know, and it puts people in your life to come to repentance. So um, I, again, I think most of it's testing. It's nope. just testing. This question ties in really well with Tiffany's question, who says, I went to the Cultivate Conference this weekend and right afterwards attended your Saturday sermon. Both you and Lisa Turkhurst, is that how you say her name? Tur yeah, Turkhurst, yeah. Uh, mentioned the enemy. How do we know if a time of challenge is coming from the enemy or from God? Does it matter who it's coming from as long as we set our eyes on God during the difficulty? Yes, it matters. Okay. Of course it matters. I mean, absolutely. Um, because a, a time of challenge from God is something that you got to go through. Mm -hmm. uh, a challenge from Satan is something you have to overcome. Right? So um, if it's a challenge, you know, from God, then you can figure out a way to get around Goliath. If it's from Satan, you have to kill Goliath. It's very, very different. Mm. And so when it's the enemy, you have to speak to the enemy, you have to direct it towards the enemy, you have to pray against the enemy. The apostle Paul says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities of the unseen world. Um, that's Ephesians 6, um, I can't remember which verse, but Stephanie will put yeah, it in 20 the show something. Notes. Yeah, it's towards the end of uh, Ephesians chapter six. And so we need to remember that, that sometimes things are Satan. Paul says, we are not unaware of Satan's schemes. So for example, um, you know, uh, when we go through 40 days of faith, there's gonna be tests and then there's gonna be the enemy. So the Lord is, right, so we're asking the Lord to build our faith for 40 days. So God's not up in heaven twiddling his thumbs. He's like, <laughs> okay, I'm gonna test your faith. There's also going to be attacks from the enemy. Um, there's gonna be things that are said, things that are done. And the enemy does not want sandals to build churches. The enemy does not want people to come to Christ. The enemy, I mean, I'm telling you, the, the second week of faith, if you went to the 10 o'clock service, everything that could go wrong went wrong. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was bizarre. It was the enemy. That was the enemy. It wasn't the Lord testing. Uh, that's what my computer did when I was preaching, but I didn't know the code. So Stephanie's computer just went blank. So I had to preach the entire sermon without notes. Uh, people were standing up and walking. I mean, it was, it was literally like preaching um, at the end of a football game. I mean, you know, everybody's moving around. Uh, we had a person come up and try to take the bag because he didn't understand, which was, you know, always terrifying. Please stay in your seat unless invited because it, it's scary. Uh, and if, for whatever reason, you feel the need to come to the altar, don't wear sunglasses because that makes you look scary. So, um, cause I can't see your face. So it was just a really, really crazy, crazy uh, day. And that was the enemy. And, and we should have, I should have been prepared for that and, mm -hmm. and ready for that. And anytime you raise the awareness of faith, the enemy's going to attack. 
And, and so we need to be prepared for that. And so as I've aged in the faith, I get a sense, I immediately know whether this is just, you know, human stupidity or the enemy. And you, and you just get this feeling and you learn to deal with it. I think growing up as a kid, a lot of people blamed, it. I grew up in a small Baptist church, everything on Satan. And I, I don't think most things are Satan. So we talked about desires this week. Um, and, and James says that the Lord doesn't tempt you. Your own desires that come from your evil heart do. And so read through the book of James. There's only five chapters in it. It's real, real short. And James just really paints a clear picture of what our evil desires will do. But Satan, Satan is present, man. Anytime the church has had to grow, anytime the church has had to do something difficult. When we moved to our Hunter Park campus, a thousand people left our church. That's like that was like 25% of so, the yeah, church. Yeah. yeah. It was huge. People that told me I'll be with you to the end. I don't care where we have to go. And and the things that's crazy is, you know, I know the Lord led us here. The Lord led us here. And, and um, you know, Jesus Christ was willing to die on the cross, but they weren't willing to drive 10 extra minutes for their church. I mean, it just, it was, it was, it was devastating. I lost good, good friends. People said, you know, you're all about money. And I'm like, none of this is going to me. <laughs> um, so so just know that there there's a spiritual attack that takes place anytime we try to do something towards God. Uh, and let me say this, anytime you're trying to experience a breakthrough, the closer you get to a breakthrough, the greater the tension is. Mm. Like take a rubber band and push it as far as you can right before it snaps. The moment right before it snaps is the greatest resistance. And what's so sad is that's oftentimes when people quit and just break through that and trust that process. And so um, again, that's where you need you need spiritual advisors. You need mm -hmm. pastors in your life. You need a community group to figure out if this is the devil, your stupidity, or just a test or just a challenge. And so think of a test or temptation in a different way. Um, think of it as an opportunity for you to confirm your growth, mm -hmm. right? So like, it's one thing to say, I'm gonna be faithful for Tammy forever. It's another thing when an attractive woman makes an opportunity. Um, you remember when I was with Pastor Andrew at the gym, this woman came up to me and said, oh, you're very yeah. good looking, I would like your number. And I said, oh, I'm married. And she said, I don't care. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I do. And she said, rude. I said, no, and I just walked away. Well, now I know that was a test and I passed it. And, and it confirmed to me, it's one thing to say, I love her and I'm gonna be faithful. It's another thing to pass a test. Mm -hmm. and, and right, tests are encouraging when you pass them. They're tragic when you fail. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, be ready for the test so that you can pass it. And just know for a lot of you guys, this faith campaign is gonna be a test. God is looking at you. Are you gonna give? Are you gonna trust? Are you gonna sacrifice? And uh, the truth is you will sacrifice for what you want. Will you sacrifice for what God wants? Mm. And, and, and for most of us, it's no, mm. it's, it's absolutely not. I'm not going to say no to myself to say yes to God. And just know every single one of you that sits in one of our campuses, there were literally thousands of Christians that said no to themselves. So you could sit in that campus and hear God, meet God, know him, grow him and be blessed. And um, you know, that's just the truth, so. Wow, I talked a lot. No, that's no, good. good. Alex's question is actually in this exact same vein. He wants to talk specifically about financial challenges right now. So he says, during this series, it seems like all the financial trials seem to start. Does God allow these to test and or grow us? And what are some ways to continue to trust God to provide while we're in this 40 Days of Faith and the Momentum Project? Right. So your financial challenges are going to end, but hopefully your faith doesn't. So of course, you know, that's going to happen. A absolutely. Um you know, it's not uncommon for us to do a faith challenge like this and the giving will be low every week because mm -hmm. people are holding back to give a big amount on that one weekend, which doesn't help us at all. Um, and I understand that, you know, I'm 
almost 50 years old. I've been here at church. You know, Tammy and I are going to be moving a piece of property that we own in order to, you know, accomplish this vision. And so here's the thing is, it, it, if you want to be in a position of sacrifice, you've got to set yourself up to be financially secure. And so I would take one of our financial, what do they call the class? Financial Peace. Yeah, they've got Finding Financial Freedom and Financial Peace University. You can okay. find more about those yeah. on our website. So we got both of those. So you need to you need to be handling your finances in the right way. So when the church asks, you're able. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just so you guys know, that's the whole purpose of work. The Apostle Paul says, you must work so that you are able to help those in need. So the American dream says you must work so you can buy what you want, do what you want, have the life that you live. The Bible says you got to have a good paying job so that you can help people who are in need. And right now the church is in need. We need to raise 10 million bucks. Why? Because buildings aren't free. So um, that that's just the reality. And so many of you find yourself in a position where you can't help. Well, you, you, you know, what I would say is this was a test and you weren't ready. So the next time there's a test, you need to be ready hmm. uh, and you need to find yourself in that position. So what I would just say is, God, I'm gonna trust you with an amount that's reasonable. Mm-hmm. Don't be crazy. Don't be stupid. But what's a reasonable amount of money that you think that you could give to the Lord over and above your normal giving for the next 24 months and trust God that for the next 24 months, he's going to do something to make that happen. That's what I would say. I think that's reasonable. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, if you came to me and said, you know, I, I just spent $10,000 on lottery tickets and I'm gonna give the full, I would say you're, you failed. That's that's mm-hmm. not what the Lord wants you to do. The Lord doesn't want you to trust him. We'll with, wait till you find out how much I'm bringing. Yeah. <laughs> the Lord doesn't want you to trust him with money you don't have. So quit playing the lottery. He wants you to trust him with the money you do have. And so um, so that's just the thing, you know, that's what I would say. Good questions, man. Great I questions. think this, but well, this, your similar question for Gigi here. I'm a single mom of five children, and for years I struggled financially to provide. I've always robbed Peter to pay Paul as a financial strategy. And as retirement is quickly approaching, I'm facing a huge financial Goliath that I helped create. I'm ashamed about how I mishandled the money God has given me. How can I approach God to ask for help, knowing I made such bad choices with my finances? Yeah, the best way to ask God to bless your finances is with tithing. There's no way around it. You cannot ask the Lord to bless your 100% when you're not faithful with your 10. That's mm-hmm. just what I would say. Tammy and I are in the position that we are. And again, I'm not, I'm not wealthy. Um, for those of you who wonder, we're not millionaires. The church takes very good care of us, but we're not millionaires. Um, you know, if I had any other company anywhere that brought in the kind of money Sandals Church does, I would be very, very wealthy and you could come to my beach house. So, uh, <laughs> but I don't have a beach house because I started a church and not a company. So, uh, but what I've said is, I think all financial blessing begins with the tithe. You don't have a beach house, but you do have a preach house. Oh! Boom, that was good. <laughs> yep. I got no, Sorry. Eight, eight preach houses. Yeah. That's so, true. <laughs> um, so that's what I would say is you've got to figure out a way to tithe and because ultimately your retirement's not here on earth, it's in heaven. And you've mm-hmm. got to get ready for that. And so you can't, you can't, you can't ask God to bless your finances if you don't repent. That's just the reality. And so what you're saying is I've not done the right thing my whole life, and now I'm in this situation. Uh, and, and let me say this: raising five kids as a single mom, that's an accomplishment. So give yourself oh, some yeah. credit there. Mm, um, yeah. I, I think that's a major accomplishment. But I think that you're being honest and you probably could have made some much better decisions. You know, um, we, we operate by faith, not our feelings. Most of our spending habits are feeling-based. Mm-hmm. They're just feeling-based. And so uh, for those of you who are aging, you know, I think in your 20s, you're a dreamer. In your 30s, you're trying to prove yourself. By the time you get to 40s, hopefully you're realizing stuff is crap and you don't need it. So if you're if you're over 40 and you haven't gotten that yet, you're failing the test. It's all a bunch of crap. You don't 
need it. Mm. You know, if your identity is wrapped up in your car, you're a fool. And I was one of those fools. I was one of those morons. And um, don't be that moron. Learn. You're not any cooler. Guys, you know, if if a gal's impressed, she's the wrong gal, mm. right? I mean, like if your car is like on her list, you don't want that girl. Yeah, you want to. <laughs> you want to check out, man. So um, again, it goes back to your identity. Who are you? So every time Satan challenges Jesus, he says, if you are the son of God. Well, of course he's the son of God. So this 40 days of faith, if you are a Christian and you're a single mom, or you have four kids or two kids, or you're like me, you have two kids in college, one in high school, um, you know, kids getting ready to be married, right? There's all kinds of expenses that come with that. But here's where Tammy and I, is, as, as faithful people, we have no debt except our house payment. You know, we're, we have less than 10 years left on our house. So we're, we're trying to whittle that down. We want to take care of that so that we can be in a position to do whatever God wants us to do. I don't want to serve debt. I want to serve Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's what I want to do. Uh, my goal is that one day when we handle, hand Sandals Church over the next leader, that it's debt-free. That's one of the things that I would love to do um, is to be able to hand them just literally the mission of reaching. Because who knows what the church will look like strategically, you know, in 20 years when I retire. So so who knows? Um, so, so we want to do that. So that's what I would say is I would repent and say, and maybe you can't start with 10%, but you say, God, here is me working towards that 10%. And so what I would encourage every Christian to do is tithe 10 and save a minimum of 10%. Man, live off 80 and you will be blessed. I was just talking to a gal today um, who's trying to figure out retirement. And I told her, I said, listen, my grandparents on my mom's side were both blue, blue collar workers. My grandpa n- never had a white collar job, worked, worked for his money his whole life, never made a ton of money, um, died, I think maybe 10 or 12 years before my grandmother, uh, left enough money for her when she died. Uh, she was in a rest home for, I think, three years. Those, those are not cheap. Oh, no. So she was in a rest home for three years. When she died, she had several hundred thousand dollars in her checking account. Oh, my God. Because my grandfather instituted tithe 10% and save 10% his whole life. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, uh, we have other family members that have not tithed. They've spent money on themselves their whole life. And here's what tithing teaches you. Tithing teaches you to fear the Lord. And when you fear the Lord, the Bible says... To fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I think it's, I think it's, oh, it's in Exodus or Deuteronomy. I can't remember, but it says in the NLT, it says the purpose of tithing is this, hmm. to teach you to fear the Lord your God. And that's the greatest gift you can give yourself is to fear the Lord your God. You want to know what's wrong with our country? We don't fear God. We just don't. People don't fear God. What they fear is being disappointed or being a victim or being hurt or offended or whatever else. We need to fear God. And so I would just say, go back and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I've not lived a financially uh, wise life. I've failed the test. Lord, what I don't want to do is I don't want to sin. Mm. I don't want to find myself being disciplined in my life. And that's where a lot of believers are going to find themselves. They're going to be disciplined, A, by their own dumb choices, and B, by a lack of blessing for the Lord. Because discipline can come in one of two ways. Discipline can come in an offensive punishment. Like, right, think of like a spanking for a kid or it can be a, like a, a withholding. Mm-hmm. Like I was mm-hmm. gonna bless you with this, but I'm not. And I think a lot of what judgment day is gonna look f- like for us as Christians is God just showing, let me show you what I had for you, mm. right? I know the plans I have for you, Jeremiah 29, 11, plans to prosper you, plans to give you a future, plans to give you hope. That's what I had for you. Mm. And when Jeremiah is prophesying that, the people of Israel, and there's not very many left, all the men are dead, 
some of the young men, the rich, are being carried off. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel are being carried off to Babylon to be slaves. Yeah. So the best and brightest of Israel are slaves. Uh, the old women are left for dead. Um, the young women are sold into slavery. They become sex slaves. Many of the children, are they're just left for dead. And that's when Jeremiah says, I know the plans I had for you. Plans to prosper you, plans to give you a future. And Jeremiah is weeping over Israel. And so we've talked about this on the show, um, Genesis chapter one, uh, and it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, chapter, excuse me, verse two says, and the Holy Spirit was hovering above the earth. Mm -hmm. And most of our translation says that it was null and void. Mm -hmm. It's not what it says. Okay. It says tohu wabohu yeah. in Hebrew. That Those words are only found one other time in the whole Bible, and it's in Jeremiah. Mm. And as Jeremiah looks at Jerusalem, he says, it is tohu wabohu, not suitable for man. Mm. That's what it means. It's, it's literally, they grew so sinful, so rebellious that God had to kick them out of the promised land. So the earth is not suitable for man. So then God makes it suitable. He makes a temple. That's what the garden of Eden is. It's a temple. It's a place of worship. I believe it's the promised land, a land flowing of milk and honey. It's beautiful. For those of you who've been with Israel with us, it's, it's just, it's gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. Um, and a lot of people don't see that because you just see the pictures of the desert. That's like judging San Diego by Galamis, right? <laughs> you know, it's it's a beautiful region. It just absolutely is. Um, God wanted, you know, to bless them. And so he put them in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve sin. And what does he do? He kicks them out of the garden, of the place of worship. And they're now to live in the land that's wild. That's not suitable for man. It's not what I've made you for. And so if you want to live in the blessing, in the presence of God, you've got to trust him with your finances. You've got to trust him with your faith. Um, you've got to trust him in every single way. And that's just, it's just so, so important. And, and guys, two, two things that I could preach on every single week for the rest of my life, your sexual life, your sexual purity, and your financial giving. Those two things, man, that's like the right and left punch. You cannot say that you love the Lord if you are unwilling to submit yourself to the sexual guidelines of scripture. You cannot say that you love the Lord if you are unwilling to operate according to the financial guidelines of scripture. Um, the Lord has called us to bless him with what we have, not with what we don't have, mm -hmm. with what we have. And um, that's just so, so important. And everybody needs to remember that. And and just so you know, that's how Sandals Church has been built. It's been built by the tithers and the sacrificial givers of our church. Um, you know, and I know that there's people in our church, man, and I, I wish, you know, that I could point them out to you because, but they don't want that because it's not about them. It's about the Lord, but there are people selling homes. There are people selling cars. There are people doing all kinds of things to, to raise this $10 million. It's not magically appearing. God is convicting hearts, convicting people, and, and they're going to give, uh, and Tammy and I are going to give. And, um, you know, I'm so grateful. I shared this before, you know, um, you guys know what we're giving, but I don't want to share that with everybody else. Our, our staff knows, because our staff needs to know that Tammy and I are in it. Um, but we came up with a number and we said, we need to double it. And my wife was like, absolutely, let's do it. And she's she's on board and um, she's just amazing. So um, it's not about the number, it's about, it's about the heart. Mm -hmm. Where is your heart? And again, I say it every week, you know, we rush through the offering. The offering is so important. It's so important because it says, God, you're God and I'm not. 
here's what's wrong in the world. Everybody's working for themselves. Everybody wants to do their own thing. That's why everybody hates God so much because he gets in the way of doing your own thing. Well, here's the problem. Here's what Jesus came to save you from, your own thing. Mm -hmm. What Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were experiencing was what happens when people do their own thing. You know, like you look at America right now, you, you look at the division. Most of human history, you know, 99.9% .9 of human, human history has not been as peaceful and as prosperous as the last hundred years. And look at all these people that are miserable. Hate America. Hate, we have no idea what could happen. Literally like, like that. Like that. Life could change. Mm -hmm. and, and now your problems aren't mortgage. Now your problems aren't a job. Now your problems are somebody's coming away, you know, conquering you and taking your wife away, taking your daughter away, taking you away from your husband, just like that. And that's what happens when countries and nations and peoples go their own way. That's the way of the world. You know, you could summarize the history of the world like in three words, war, famine, disease, and slavery. That's, that, that, that's historically, you know, how the world has operated and we've been blessed for this last hundred years. But man, I don't know how long that blessing is gonna last. Because people people act like it's worse than it's ever been. It's it's better than it's ever been. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely better. And I'm not saying it can't improve. Sure. But if if you and this is why we need to teach our children history, <laughs> if you actually study history, you realize how how great it was. You know, my grandparents' generation, that's just two generations ago, 13 kids, I think eight made it to twelve. Mm -hmm. Eight. Man. That was normal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That was normal. You know, in in England, you didn't name your kid till they were like three. Hey, you, you should just name them. I don't know if you're going to make it. I mean, I mean, you know, great things have happened. And so anyways, I got off on that, but misery can happen. And it comes from, I know the plans I have for you. See, that's, that's why you got to read your Bible because that verse means so much more when you read it in its context. Mm -hmm. You know, that verse is not at a birthday party. It's a funeral mm. for everyone. Wow. I know the, the plans I had for you, but you went your own way. And, and just so you guys know, that's what hell is. Hell, people get to do whatever they want and it's not gonna be good. You do not want to be with people who get to do whatever they want. And um, because ultimately what that means is they're gonna do whatever they want with you. And uh, mob rule, historically not a good thing. Heaven, there's not mob rule, there's one rule and it's God's rules. And that's the best way. Uh, and again, we talked about this briefly you know, really contrast the temptation of Adam and Eve with the temptation of Jesus. And look at how different it is. They have everything, Jesus has nothing. They're well-fed, he's starving. He's all alone, they have each other, right? Mm -hmm. And Jesus goes right back to the word of God. And remember, what does Satan tempt Eve with? Did he really say? Mm -hmm. What does Jesus answer everything? The word of the Lord says. Yeah. Like he stands on the word of God, man. And if you can do that, man, you will be blessed. Stand on the word of God and God will bless you. So, wow. Lots of good stuff in there. Yeah. Debrief.show slash 121. That's correct. Boom. Oh, 121, just like a Seattle church is turning 21 right now. Mm. Pastor Matt, what do, you think, what do you think about this idea since our church is now 21 years old? Mm. Um, swapping out grapes for actual wine no. on communion weekend. I don't want to tempt you. Okay. I love the grapes, man. It's uniquely yeah, us. It I, I understand, but now we're old enough. We got a license to uh, license to ill. Mm. 